Hey, thanks so much for listening to this message. My name is Jason, and I'm one of the ministers here at the Madison Church of Christ. It's our hope and prayer that the teaching you hear today will bless your life and draw you closer to God. If you're ever in the Madison area, we'd love for you to stop by and study the Bible with us on Sundays at 5 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If you have questions about the Bible or want to know more about the Madison Church, you can find us online at madisonchurch.org. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast as well as our sermons podcast, Madison Church of Christ Sermons. Thanks again for stopping by. I hope this study is a blessing to you. Uh, The speaker tonight is going to be Matt Cook. Matt, for a long time, was a missionary in South America and then, for a variety of different reasons, had to come uh, back to the United States and since then has been working at Freed Hardman University. Uh, I got to uh, be in one of his classes while at Freed, and then my brother was impacted by him as well. Uh, He's beloved not simply for what he teaches in the classroom, uh, but just for the person that he is. Uh, He's a great, great guy. I know many people from Freed are here tonight, and they're excited to get to listen to him. Uh, I'm excited as well. So let's start with a prayer, and then, Matt, you can come up. God, thank you so much for this evening. Help us, God, just to honor you in in every way that we possibly can. Thank you for the church. Thank you for the family that we have around us. Help us to push those around us to grow closer to you as we strive to do the same. Uh, Help us, God, just to love you with everything that we have. Thank you for loving us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Richard. Richard, where are you going? Well, he likes me so much he's leaving. How about that? What a great, I was about to thank him for the glowing introduction. See you, man. Good to see you. Um, It's great to be here. Um, Lots of folks here that I love, lots of former students that I love, so it's just, it's great to be here. Some of you may recognize this picture. This is the third floor of the Gardner Center, which is where, if you take a Bible class at Freed Hardeman University, uh, you take it in this building, and so some of you may recognize this. Um, There was one day when I was in my senior year that... Um, I had taken an 8.30 Bible class. Number one, 8.30 classes and senior, last semester of senior year don't go well together. So I remember getting up at the last minute every time this class was supposed to meet, and we'd rush over there. There was one particular day that me and my friends were in a hurry, and so we got over to the building, and we were being lazy like students like to be sometimes, and we took the elevator. I mean, it's just the third floor. I still, I, I look at students today, he'll take a, they'll take an elevator just one floor up, and it's like, this takes you 10 minutes longer to do this, but we did it, I did it too. So I took the elevator to the top floor, I got off of the elevator with two of my friends, and we needed to go to that door that you see down there, and we were acting like, there's no junior high kids in here, we were acting like junior high kids, and for whatever reason, we started racing towards this door. And it was kind of like this fast walk sort of race, and we got to this door, and we needed to go down the hallway to the first spot on your left there. I teach all of my classes up here just across the hall on the right. And so, again, like little children, we got to this door, and we started running because we were going to beat each other to this doorway. We got all the way down the hallway, and we needed to get into that door to the left, and my friend was just ahead of me, and he was right in front of the door, And he was beating me, and so he got there, and then I I put my shoulder down and plowed him right through the wall. In fact, you can still see today. You see the drywall where the drywall is repainted? You can barely see it. Whoever did the paint job did a really poor job, 
um, X amount of years ago. This was quite a few, few years ago. And still today, you can see the spot. In fact, I zoomed in. Yeah, you can see it at the bottom right there. Still, where I plowed my friend through the wall. We went into the classroom. There's a big hole in the wall. What do you do then? There's a big hole in the wall. And I remember the professor came in. And some of you who've been around the block for a few years have heard of Dr. David Leip. He is pretty intense. Scary would be the right word for Dr. Leip. Um, and especially at that point in his career, he was kind of done with the foolishness of students. And, and boy, he came in and he ripped our class to shreds over the people who didn't have respect for property. Man, he gave it to us, scared us to death. Now, here's the deal. We went and told on ourselves to somebody. I, don't, I think they took the money out of our student accounts or something. It wasn't a big deal. And I look back on that story now and I think that's, that's kind of fun. That's kind of a funny story. My kids are at the age now where they love to hear stories like that, stories from college. And if we were to go around the room, it would take a while, there's a lot of people in here, and tell stories of, stories of the dumb things that we've done when, when we were younger, when we were in high school or when we were in college, boy, we'd have some funny stories in here, wouldn't we? But the great thing about those stories is they don't upset, they're fun, right? We laugh about them. But most of us also probably have stories that we're, we're ashamed of. We have stories that we don't tell our kids when they ask us to tell them stories from when we were younger. We have the kind of stories that when we think about them, we don't laugh. Instead, we feel still, maybe years later, the weight of the guilt for what we did. And then the more we start thinking about that, the more those burdens start weighing on us and and we begin to question where we're at spiritually, especially the more recent those things are. I mean, have you ever had a, one of those days that are just bad spiritually? You just can't seem to get anything right. Man, you feel like you're, you're thinking the wrong things and, and then you're saying the wrong things and doing the wrong things. You get to the end of the day and there's just this weight of guilt on our shoulders. And I think sometimes we get to that point and we begin to wonder, boy, if Jesus comes back tonight and... Am I good or not? Because I sure don't feel very good in this moment. I think one of the biggest problems that a lot of the Christians that I know face is that they struggle with their confidence in their salvation. And I work with college students. And I think that problem is, even, is amplified even more with college students who perhaps are carrying around some of the weight of the temptations that they struggle with even more. And and they struggle with being confident. And it's not, just, it's not just the adults, it's not just the teenagers. I think it even bleeds down into our kids. My dad tells a story. He grew up in the hills of West Virginia. And he said that the little church that he grew up in was way up in the hills. And, and there was this little old lady. He said she seemed like she was 80 or 90, but she was around for 20 years. So he, she just seemed really old to him at the time. And he remembers walking out of the church building and overhearing her say one time, well, if I make it into heaven, it'll be by the skin of my teeth. And he always, he still remembers that moment when an older person expressed a little bit of a lack of confidence in their salvation. And if you've ever felt that and experienced that, and I'm guessing maybe even a Wednesday night crowd like this sometimes feels that weight a little bit more. If you've ever felt that, what do, you, what do you do with that? How do you deal with that? To help us deal with that tonight, I want us to talk about a character from Scripture that, 
I think all of us love because we relate to him. And that's Peter. Now, you know the reason we relate to Peter so well, right? Because sometimes he was really spiritual, and sometimes he was not very spiritual. I don't know, that kind of feels like I feel so. Sometimes, sometimes I'm feeling really spiritual, really on top of the world spiritually, and then sometimes not so, not so much. I mean, I've got a 12-year-old daughter and a 10-year-old boy. Those, those two can pull the spiritual out of me in a hurry, right? And there, so there's days I'm not feeling very spiritual. And in, in Peter like that, man, there are mountaintop moments in the life of Peter that we love. There's that time when Jesus asks what people are saying about him, and say, the apostles say, well, some say you're this prophet, and some say that prophet. And Jesus looks at him and says, well, who do you guys say that I am? And Peter's the one who, who jumps in and says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's an incredible, big moment. But it's right after that, right after that in Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus is talking about his upcoming death, burial, and resurrection, that Peter rebukes him. And you remember what Jesus calls him? Jesus Christ himself calls Peter Satan. You think you'd ever forget that moment? The moment that Jesus calls you Satan? Man, talk about going from a, a mountaintop high to, to a really low valley. That's it. Or there's the time in John chapter 6, don't you love this one? When every, Jesus is teaching some hard stuff and everybody's leaving and Jesus looks to his disciples and says, you guys going to go too? And it's Peter who jumps in and says, boy, it's so poetic, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Like, wow, he's so spiritual. But then this is the same guy who pulls out his sword and takes a swipe at somebody's neck in defense of Jesus and, and cuts his ear off. So many highs, so many lows, sometimes really spiritual, sometimes not so much. And I think that's why we relate to him, at least one of the reasons I relate to him so well. But there's one moment in particular where Peter, I think, kind of hits rock bottom. Turn your Bibles over to Luke chapter 22. Luke 22. Jesus has just spent some time with his disciples in the upper room, breaking bread with them, celebrating the Passover. He then leaves that upper room and he goes over to the Garden of Gethsemane where he prays in agony. He's then arrested and then he's taken into a series of trials that are a complete travesty of justice. But don't you love Peter? Everybody else is gone. Peter's the one who actually follows along and the text has him sitting outside the high priest's house where the trial is occurring, where it should not be occurring, sitting around a fire just waiting. At least he's nearby Jesus. And here's what happens. Luke 22, we're going to pick up in verse 54. Then they seized him and led him away bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. It's the middle of the night, so maybe it's cold. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man also is with him. Somebody recognizes Peter and says, hey, I know that guy, right? You're with one of the guys with Jesus. Verse 57, but he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I'm not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also is with him, for he too is a Galilean. They, they recognize where he's from, maybe by the way he's talking, maybe by the way he looks, but they know this guy was with Jesus. Verse 
And Peter, verse 60, says, man, I do not know what you're talking about. In Matthew's account of this in chapter 26, it says that Peter began to invoke a curse on himself and swear. I don't know, growing up, I always thought that mean he was cussing at him, right? He was swearing. That's not what it means. Here's what Peter was doing. According to Matthew's account, on the third time he gets pointed out, he basically swears in this way. I swear that it's, I'm not one of those guys, and if I'm lying, may God strike me in his wrath. Ooh. That's some pretty strong denial, isn't it? To invoke a curse on yourself from God. To deny what is being said about you. Look at the rest of our 60. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And that's the moment that Peter remembers the saying of the Lord how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times. You ever thought about what was in that look between Jesus and Peter? This is just from one TV series, The Lumo Project. I don't know if you've seen these videos. You can find them on YouTube or the Lumo website. So this is just one Hollywood rendition or, or artistic rendition of the way Jesus may have looked at Peter. But I wonder, you ever wondered what was in that look? Was it frustration? Was it anger? Was it disdain? I think that's kind of how we picture it, how frustrated Jesus must have been, but I don't know. I wonder if there's something else in this look, and we'll come back to that in a few minutes and watch what Peter does. Verse 62, and he went out and wept bitterly. This moment wrecks Peter. I mean, if there's a spiritual rock bottom moment, this is it. He's just denied Jesus three times and then their eyes meet, man, this is disaster. But here's what we know to be the case. We know that Peter comes back from this, doesn't he? I mean, it's just seven weeks later that it's Peter standing before thousands on the day of Pentecost, preaching the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus publicly for the first time. Incredible, incredible moment. And Peter becomes one of the foremost leaders in the, fir in the first century, obviously, but in the first days of the church, Acts chapters 1 through 12, Peter's the main guy. Right here, this is rock bottom. How does he get from this moment to being used by God in such significant ways through the rest of his life? And for me, the answer to that might be found earlier in the chapter. So go back to earlier in the chapter, chapter 22, and we're going to pick up in verse 31. So there in the upper room, Jesus has, again, celebrated the Passover with them, and now he's going to predict what Peter's about to do. Verse 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. In other words, Peter, Satan's, Satan's coming. He's coming after you. Better, you better be ready. And we'll skip a verse down to verse 33. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. I, the other... Gospels say that Peter denies that he would ever do this. He, would, he says, I would never, ever. It's like this strong double negative language in the other Gospels. I would never deny you. Here, Peter says, I, I'd die for you, Jesus. And Jesus says in verse 34, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Now, let's put ourselves in Jesus' shoes. You've got now, I know none of us are Jesus, and so none of us would respond to a situation quite like Jesus did. But let's imagine, you're in Jesus' shoes, and you're one of your three best friends. 
is going to deny that he ever knew you, and you know that it's coming because you're Jesus, and you can, you can know what's coming. So you know that one of your best friends is going to deny that he ever knows you. What would you say to him? Well, this is here where we're not going to say what Jesus would say, right? This is where I would say something like, hey, man, what is your problem, right? I mean, can, can you imagine being denied by your best friend in, in this way? I can't, we can't even imagine that. We'd be so frustrated, so upset, so disappointed. But watch what Jesus says instead. We skipped verse 32. He says, Satan's coming for you in verse 31. Verse 32 but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Jesus looks at Peter, looks him in the eyes, and says, I know what's about to happen. You're about to deny that you even know me. But I've been praying. I know this is going to happen. I've been praying for you. And my prayer is that this does not wreck your faith. I pray that after this is over, this does not destroy you spiritually. I pray that your faith will not fail. Jesus makes it crystal clear, even though he knows Peter's going to disappoint him significantly, Jesus makes it crystal clear that he is on Peter's side, doesn't he? Isn't that what he's saying? I know you're going to mess up big time, and I am still on your side. And with that in mind, I wonder... What was actually in that look between Peter and Jesus later on in the chapter after Peter denies him three times? The text doesn't say. But I wonder if there's just a little bit of, I told you so, right? You can communicate I told you so through a look, right? Because Peter's like, I would never do this. So maybe there's just a little bit of I told you so. But instead of anger or disgust or frustration, Maybe the look in Jesus' eyes is something like, don't forget what I told you. You remember what I said just a few hours ago? I'm on your side. And I don't want this to wreck or destroy your faith. And could it be the reason that Peter comes back from this rock bottom moment is because he knows that Jesus isn't out to get him. That Jesus is actually on his side. Here's what I, I want you to know, if you don't remember anything else from tonight's message. As you struggle with the guilt of sin and you struggle with confidence in your salvation, there are times when you have a, a spiritual bad day and you lay your head down on your pillow at night and you question, boy, if Jesus comes back, I sure don't feel very saved right now. Here's what I want you to know. After you sin, God is not out to get you. He's not out to get you. He's not. We imagine that he is sometimes, though, don't we? We imagine, we imagine God like this really mean principle High school principal in the sky, just waiting to, to whoop us when we mess up. Man, he's watching, and he's just waiting for us to mess up. You ever have a, an authority figure like that in your life? We have any principals in here? Probably so. Any principals? You're not owning up to it right now. Hopefully you're not one of those mean ones. But you ever have a principal? You ever have a, a teacher like that? Boy, 
It was like they were just watching and waiting for, I'm guessing we have some teachers in here. Just, you ever had that teacher? It's, just, it's like they're watching and waiting for you to mess up so that they can get you. It's, it's church camp time. You ever had a, a church camp counselor or, or leader who was kind of like that? I remember in high school, I had a, a group, the same group of friends that we ran through the wall together. Uh, same group of friends. We, we had some fun. And so I remember there were one or two guys at church camp back in West Virginia. It just felt like they were just watching and waiting for us to mess up. And I think sometimes we view God that way. But could it be that if he was on Peter's side after Peter, knowing that Peter would mess up big time, that he's also on our side? And he knows we're going to mess up. And as his followers, he doesn't want us to mess up, but he knows we're going to mess up. And when we do, he's not out. He's not waiting to punish us. He's not out to destroy us. And you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, Matt. I don't know about that. I'm not sure about that. How can you know that for sure? Here's how I know that God is not out to get you when you mess up. You ready? This is going to be, it's going to blow your mind. Actually, it's not going to blow your mind. Here's how I know. He sent Jesus to die for you. I mean, that's the core of our belief system, right? Jesus came and died for our sins. He sent Jesus to die for our sins and take our place. If he was out to get us, if he didn't want to save us, if he didn't want to forgive us, he doesn't send Jesus to die for us, does he? I know he's on my side simply by the greatest act that he ever did, by sending Jesus to die for us. I love 2 Peter chapter 3. Not all of 2 Peter 3. It's a tough chapter. But there's some people questioning whether Jesus is going to come back, and Peter says, listen, with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. Quit questioning the Lord's timing. And he's waiting. Why? He hasn't come back yet. Here's his reason. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. But God is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Whoa, did you catch that? God doesn't want to punish anybody. Will he? Yeah, he will. His wrath against sin, his holiness demands wrath against sin, and so there will be a punishment. There will be a day of reckoning for sin, but he doesn't want to. He wants all people to come to him. You know what that tells me? God's not out to get us. Just like Jesus was on Peter's side, even though he knew Peter would mess up. I want you to know tonight that when you sin, and God knows you will, when you sin, he's not out to get you. He's not. Let me talk to two groups of people, and I think the first group I want to talk to is probably the vast majority of the people in the room tonight. And those are the people who are trying to do what's right. You're trying to follow Jesus. I think it's reasonable to say, that's, that's most everybody here tonight, right? You're trying to do what's right, trying to follow Jesus, but there are moments when you struggle with your confidence and you question your salvation. I think it was 2016, our theme for Horizons, one of our summer camps at Freed Hardeman was, um, what was it, Fearless. Remember that, Emma? Fear dot less, or Fearless, we, we played, did a little play on words. And so we had a day in chapel where we thought, well, we'll have a little fun with this and talk about fear. And so we sent out this survey to our students, the whole student body. 
And the survey was something like, rank the things that you fear the most, top three things you fear the most. And we were expecting spiders, snakes, all the fun stuff. And then we could get up in chapel one day and, and talk about all the funny things that people fear and make fun of people for, right? What we did not expect to, to get was like these spiritually in-depth things. Now, here's the deal with a survey like this. I think we got about 100, 100 respondents out of whatever, the 1,500 undergraduate students who got the, the email. And you know what kind of student, what kind of person responds to an email like that and actually fills out your survey? Like the really good ones. The really, because you know what I do when I get an email like that? I'm like, nah, I don't think so. I'm not helping those guys, right? And so I'm not the good person. So it's the good people who get these surveys and they're like, yeah, I will help them by filling out this survey. Now on the list, I don't remember all the answers, but number three was uncertainty about my relationship with God. Number six was hell. From 100 students that I would assume are probably some of the good ones. Some, and we got a bunch of good ones, don't get me wrong, but the, the conscientious good ones who are gonna fill out the survey and help. Number three, uncertainty about my relationship with God. Number six, fear of hell. Here's the game that I think we play sometimes spiritually. If I could illustrate it, imagine up at the top, left of the screen where the first arrow begins, that's the point at which you become a Christian and you're saved and you're excited and you're all in, right? Well, then you have one of those spiritual, spiritual bad days and pretty soon, boom, you're over here, right? And then you're, you're back over, so you're over on the lost side. Jesus comes back when you're on the right side of the screen, that's no good. So then you have some spiritual good days, you're back, and it's this back and forth, back and forth between saved and lost. I think, for me, it makes a little more sense like this. Imagine that that you have been baptized into Christ. You're in Christ, right? That's what the X means, that's you. And so you're feeling good, you're confident about that, but maybe you have a, you, you've got your own spiritual, your own temptation struggle, everybody's got one. And so you have a couple of days where you've struggled a little bit more. And man, you're sorry, but you lay your head down on your pillow one night and you think, man, I'm out, I'm out. So you double down and you do a little bit better for a week or so, and you get past that week, everything's a little better, and you think, okay, wow, I'm back in now. And then, then you don't read your Bible for like a month. And you hear a sermon or a Bible class where everybody's like, you should read your Bible every day, and you're like, oh, crud, I haven't read my Bible for a couple of weeks. Oh, man, I hope Jesus doesn't come back now. I feel out again. So then you double down and you start reading your Bible every day. Read your Bible and you pray. Maybe you even throw a little day of fasting in there. You're all good now. After a couple weeks, you're feeling good. Tell me where you find this in the New Testament. It's not there. It's not. But how many of us have played this game before? How many of you maybe are still occasionally playing this game? Listen, if you have been baptized into Christ and you are in Christ, I want you to know that's a solid place to stand. And you can have some confidence in the blood of Jesus and the grace of God. In fact, I would say there's no other place that you could stand that's to be more stable and solid than that. On Christ the solid rock I stand. Maybe I could say it this way to help you, you get this. I, uh, I preach at the Stantonville congregation, and my dad, uh, when we came back to, Henderson, to, the, to town to Henderson, um, 
my parents moved from West Virginia, and so I'm, the, I'm kind of the pulpit minister there, and my dad is the congregational minister. I don't know the exact title. And so I preach on Sundays. He cleans up the mess the rest of the week, right? He's the, the located guy there. He's there all the time. Do you think, and so we, we're down there a lot. We're with my parents a lot every Sunday afternoon. We eat lunch with my parents. Do you think I ever, even at my age, do you think I still disappoint my father sometimes? Probably so. I probably say things that I shouldn't say. I probably am at times a little too hard on my kids in front of them. Probably just, there's times I'm probably not hard enough on my kids. That just, I'm guessing that I still disappoint my father. But here's what I know. When I disappoint my father, I'm still my father's son. Right? When you disappoint your heavenly father, maybe you don't like the word disappoint. I get that. But when we sin, isn't it fair to say that that disappoints him? When you disappoint your heavenly father, if you're trying to do what's, if you're following Jesus and you're trying to do what's right, you are still your father's child. You know how I know? Turn over to 1 John for a second. I love 1 John and its emphasis on confidence. In fact, I see a couple of former James through Jude students over there. I see you. I got you there. Um, and we talk about this in there because it's, it's so, it's such a major theme. And just skip around, it's just in a couple of pages here. Chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And that, that's pretty solid language, and that you may know that you have eternal life. I love chapter 4. We'll go backwards. Chapter 4, verse 17. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. I don't know about you, I've heard a lot of folks kind of express some doubt about the day of judgment. John says we can have, to have the love of God perfected in our lives is to have confidence in the day of judgment. Skip back to chapter 3, we'll keep going backwards here. Verse 20, 19 and 20. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Your heart ever condemn you? This text indicates that God's greater than those feelings that we have of doubt. And here's why I can be confident that even when I struggle, I'm still my, my father's child. Back in chapter 1, look at verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. All right, so that's, we can stop there and say, well, that's really cool. The fellowship and life, walk. what's it mean to walk in the light? That's one of those really Christian y phrases, isn't it? And the preachers say, Are you walking in the light? I'm like, well, what does that mean? Right? Let's just, I mean, if we boil it down, I think it means we're trying to follow Jesus. I'm, I'm seeking the face of Jesus. I'm, I'm walking in the path. If this is the path to Jesus, I'm walking in that path. Boy, sometimes I'm walking really slow, sometimes I'm crawling, I'm struggling. But I'm walking towards Jesus. I'm trying to follow Jesus. That's walking in the light, right? Watch what the result of that is. If we're walking in the light, as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Do you believe that tonight? Do you believe that if you are seeking the face of Jesus and you're trying to follow him, and you stumble and fall, which you will. In fact, he says in verse 6, if you say you have no sin, you're lying, you're deceiving yourself. 
But when you fall, do you believe that the blood of Jesus continues to cleanse you of your sins? That's what John says, right? And so even when I sin, even when I disappoint my father, if I'm trying to follow him, if I'm walking in the light, this text says the blood of Jesus cleanses me from my sin. And so for those of you who are trying to follow Jesus, you're trying to do what's right, and you struggle with your temptations and you fail, here's what I want you to know. God is not out to get you. Even when you fail, even when you disappoint him, you're still your father's child. That's good news. That's a confidence builder. And if you are in Christ, it's a solid place to stand. But let me talk to a, a second group. And I imagine the second group is, is a bit smaller but I think there is a difference, and some of you may be wondering about this or had this thought, and you're arguing with me in your head a little bit, and you've wondered, well, what about those who actually have walked away from Jesus? There's a difference between this, trying to do what's right, struggling to follow, struggling with temptation, but following Jesus, and, and recognizing this isn't, this isn't biblical. There's a difference between this, though, and this. There's a difference between disappointing our Father and forsaking our Father. And this is entirely possible, and this is a choice that you can make. And you've probably known some people along the way who've made this choice. They've just decided they're done with it, and they're, they've walked away. And it may be that, that there's someone in the room, or there's a handful of people in the room right now who've done this. And maybe it's because you know you've made some pretty big mistakes, and you think, well, God could never forgive me for this, and that just begins this cycle of guilt. And, it's, and maybe it went, maybe it goes back to, to the slide I showed you a second ago, this back and forth game. You play that long enough, eventually you're going to think, well, what's the use of even trying anymore? And then you just decide to walk away. And I think it's possible to do this and nobody else even knows about it. Oh, your family may have an idea about it, but it's possible to do this, to put on a show, keep coming to church, make everything look good. But internally, you've just quit, and you're not even trying anymore. Here's what I want you to know. If, if this is you, this is you, God is still not out to get you. He's not out to get you. You may think he is, and that may be the thing that's preventing you from coming back to him. But you know how I know he's not out to get you? There's this really cool story in Luke chapter 15 about a, a boy who looks at his father and says, I'm done with this. Thanks for everything. I want my inheritance, and I'm out of here. He doesn't just disappoint his father. He forsakes his father completely, walks away, lives it up, does whatever he wants to do, and then he hits rock bottom, and he realizes, oh, man, I have messed up. And surely there's no hope for me. I could never go back home. That's not what he does. He says, maybe if I go back home, my father will treat me like one of his servants. I can't be his son anymore, but at least being one of his servants is better than what I'm experiencing right now. And so he goes back home, and as the story goes, the father's standing on the front porch. He sees his, his son from afar off, and he whips his belt off, and he starts kind of smacking his belt on his hand and say, all right. The time has come. This boy's going to get it now, right? Well, that's not how the story goes. You know that. Jesus tells the story that the father runs 
from his house, and dignified men during that time didn't run. He runs from his house, he embraces his son, he hugs him, he kisses him, and then he brings him back to the house, he restores his honor as a son, and he throws a party for him. Was that father out to get his son? No. He was just thankful his son had come home. He was so thankful. And if, if you've walked away from God, I want you to know tonight that he's still not out to get you. He wants more than anything else for you to come home. There's this crazy thing that happens when you're uh, in college or, or about to separate from your family. We got any uh, juniors or seniors in college over here. There's this thing that happens. It happened for me after my junior year where um, I left home for my senior year of college and my parents took my bedroom away. Yeah, some of you have done that, haven't you? Jerks, man, how can you do that to your kids, right? And it either, here's what happened to my, my bedroom was a little bit bigger and it was given to my younger brother. That hurt, and his room was turned into a guest room. Some of your bedrooms, guys, this is gonna be exciting, will get turned into craft rooms or offices. At some point your parents just say, Nah, we're done with that. You're out of here. Go get your own, go pay for your own bedroom somewhere, right? But here's the good news. Even when that happens, there's still always a place at the table. There may not be a bedroom for you, but you come home and there's still a place at the table. I want you to know tonight, if you've walked away from Jesus, there's still a place at the table for you. And he's not out to get you and he wants you to come home. Tonight I want you to know that we can be confident in our salvation. Because God isn't out to get us. He wants to save us. He loves us deeply. And for those who've forsaken him, he wants them to come back home. And so if you've walked away, talk to somebody on the ministry staff. Talk to one of the elders. Talk to somebody about coming back to God. Because he wants you to. If you're one of the majority in here who at times struggles with confidence, here's what I want you so I want you to know, God's not out to get you when you struggle. The blood of Jesus cleanses you from your sin. You can be confident of your place in Christ. And so here's what you do when you struggle with sin. Confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive you, 1 John 1 verse 9. So confess and then express the confidence that you have and the forgiveness God will give you. So you say something like, God, I confess my sins. I've struggled. I've had a bad couple of days. I've had a bad day. And I'm sorry. This is not who I want to be. And then you say, but I'm confident in this moment that you've forgiven me. And I will move on confident in the salvation that I have through Jesus Christ. I don't know, maybe to illustrate it in kind of a ridiculous way, let's Let's use Amelia May, right? She's going to turn red back there. I'm sure she is. I see her back there. Hey, Amelia. I could have used you, Michaela, so I'm going with Amelia. Um, so let's imagine, where's Amelia? There you, there you guys are. Let's imagine that Amelia, um, it's, this, it's last fall, and she comes to Freed Hardeman, and she takes old Matt Cook's Life of Christ class. And she did, actually. And she takes this class, and she thinks, well, this will be, I've grown up in church, a good church. I know about Jesus. This will, be a, this will be a piece of cake. And it, it's not that hard, and, and she does pretty good, but she gets about to the, the end of the semester, and she realized that she hadn't taken it as seriously. As she, I mean, it's her first semester in college, and so she's had a lot of fun, and she's sitting at a C. 
And she knows that's probably not what her parents want out of her in the life of Christ, right? So she's, she's sitting at a, a C, and she's like, okay, i got to fix this. I, maybe I can get, pull a B out of this. Now, if you know Amelia, this is not the way she functions, right? Um, but she's, she was, wants to pull a B out of this, so it's the final exam, and she knows if she gets a really high A, she can raise her grade at least to a B. So she says, I'm going to study hard. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a B in this class. Well, the night before the final exam in her first semester of college, her friends call her up and say, hey, we're going, we're going out to eat. We're going to watch a movie. You want to go? And it's the last week of school. And she's like, oh, oh, it's life of Christ. It'll be easy. I don't need to study for that mess. And she goes out with her friends. They have a big time. They have lots of fun. They stay up super late. She falls asleep and forgets to study or does, wakes up and she hadn't studied for this life of Christ final. And she goes in and she bombs it. I mean, she bombs it bad. It's a... She gets like a bad F, and it lowers her grade in a class on the life of Jesus Christ <laughs> to a D. First semester of college, she's got scholarships on the line. This is bad. And so she texts her parents and says, she's afraid to call them. She texts them and says, here's, here's what happened. I'm really sorry. They text back and say, we'll talk about it when you get home. So she packs up her stuff and heads home for Christmas break. She pulls in the driveway and Walks up to the door carrying her bags, and it's, it's right before Christmas time. She can hear the Christmas music inside. She can smell the, the Christmas cookies baking, and, and she, can, she can even, like, kind of see favor. Everybody's having a wonderful time and so happy, and, and she gets, you guys have a key or a push button? Both. What's the number? I'm just kidding. Uh, just kidding. That's, really, that's really weird now that I said that's like, ugh, forget that I even said that, right? Um, I'm just getting you to say it in front of everybody, right? So they got, she pulls out her key, and it won't fit. But there's a code, too, right? So she tries to enter the code, and it doesn't work, and she can't get it. She's like, that's weird. But I've been gone for the whole semester. Maybe, maybe they changed it, right? Something happened. They had to change the locks. They, she says, well, that's fine. So she texts them, and she's like, hey, I'm home, I'm home. And they're like, nothing. Nothing. So she tries to call. Nothing. Finally, she's kind of pounding on the door thinking something might be wrong. And finally, her parents crack open the door and say, sweetheart, um, you've really disappointed us. You're no longer in the family. It's okay to laugh. That's ridiculous, right? What kind of parents? Would you guys do that? No. Maybe, right? No. No. No, no parent is going to kick their kids out for that. Here's the reality, you're still your, your parent's child, even, when you did, even if you got an F in the life of Christ, if you messed up that big, you'd still be your parent's child. But somehow we treat God as, as worse than that, don't we? No, listen, even when we mess up, even when we disappoint our Heavenly Father, we are still, you are still your father's child. Let's pray really quick, and then I think we're, we're done. Father, thank you for your goodness, your grace, your mercy. Thank, thank you for being our Father, and thank you for the confidence that we can have because of Jesus Christ. Thank you for this body of believers. May they encourage one another to be confident in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.